All right. We all have our beverages. We're ready to go. Mary, is that a wedding band I see? Yes. Guess what? Mary is back from getting married. She's here with us today. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Did you get married today? No. <laughs> what dedication that would be if I got married and I was like, all right, Todd, I gotta go record a podcast tonight. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I would Todd's a really cool dude. He'd just be like, yeah, go ahead. He yeah. probably would be like, only if I can guest. <laughs> Uh, I got married and went to class later that yeah. day. Uh, <laughs> I no, Last we got time. married. <laughs> I did not do any of that. A week and a half ago. Right on. Yes. Yeah, but she wasn't. She wasn't here for our last episode because she was off getting married. So we're welcoming her back to the she show. She also wasn't here when yes. I was the last a guest last <gasps> time. Really? Yeah. That was wow. the, the line thing. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know why you weren't here. I don't know. Well, now we know it's not because she doesn't like you, because she's here right now. By the way, everyone, we have a guest. No. Um, That's that man's voice. This is just a very scattered (laughs) beginning. I blame myself because I'm supposed to be in charge today. Blame the one. You're the leader. All right. Anyway, let's let's reel this in. We're going to get to our guests. I think what we should do is get to our intro question for this episode, and then we can introduce our guest and let him answer the question first. Um, um, today we are discussing The Water Dancer by Tanahasi Coates. And uh, really hard to think of an intro question for this one um, because it's about a tough topic. Um didn't want to ask anything that would be weird, but Mary came up with a good one, so I'm going to let her take it away. My question is, what historical figure do you think could have had superpowers? Yeah. And what were they? And this is, a, this is I think, especially good because um, Ta-Nehisi Coates actually wrote some Black Panther comics. Yes, so he ha- he's very invested in superpowers beyond just what happens in this book. So I I've got one. Yeah, ready. Well, Saeed, if you're if you're not ready, yeah, I will. I will definitely pass for right now. Give me right, a second. We'll, you'll get to meet our guest later. Sorry. Go ahead, Mary. That, I just I just thought of this. Yeah, that question came out of the woods. So I'm I having know, a tough I know. time. I'm sorry. I didn't give you any warning. <laughs> All right, stick with me here. All right, Helen Keller. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Go ahead. As Earthbender. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm thinking like Avatar the Last Earthbender. Listen, you're going to have yeah. to explain what that means. Because not. Yeah, there's there's a character Avatar. in Avatar the Last Earthbender who can like sense vibrations. It's Avatar the Last Airbender, but I get where you're going with that. Huh? You said Earthbender. Oh, the non-blue people avatar. Yeah. Um, There's a character who can, like, feel vibrations in the ground and get, like, a sense of the world. And I think Helen Keller. Yeah. Could have done that. She could. People want to rag on Helen Keller, but, you know, like, she she did some stuff. Uh, I'll go. Okay, Kelly. Kelly. Um, I think maybe Amelia Earhart could actually fly, like using her arms as wings. And oh, Sydney. no. That's not fair. And I was I was along that same train of thought. <laughs> Too bad I went first. That's what. That's uh, the beauty of going first, is you get to take. 
Yeah, I was like, holy shit, I gotta say something. Don't worry, mine's not nearly as good as either Uh, one of those. (laughs) So she flew off um, somewhere, and she is alive to this day. Living in a tree herself. How old would she be? Not sure. Doesn't matter. (laughs) She's She's also also immortal. Yeah. (laughs) Um, alright. Well, I don't know if you can count this as a superpower, but Wait, first introduce um, yourself, because you're the guest. Oh. We don't know who you are. Oh, hi, guys. My name is uh, Saeed. Hey. Um, hi. Hello. This is my second time on the podcast. Yeah. I was wondering um, who that guy was that was in here. Yeah. Apparently, we only invite Saeed in July. <laughs> yeah. It, was that July in July, too? The, yeah. the, uh, the Lion King? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my first my first intro here. But uh, no, yeah, I'm, I live in Montana. I like to fish and that's about the extent of a lot of my personality <laughs> you have you know, you some very exciting of pictures of wonderful animals yes i do yeah Everyone i guess should I follow him on instagram because he posts amazing <laughs> animal photography yes yeah thank you i was uh, gonna say you have a rich fantasy baseball life going on right now yeah <laughs> i i do with baseball coming back in two weeks it's uh things are getting things are heating up. they're heating up uh no, I was thinking Buffalo Bill. I don't. I've so I, I recently went to the Buffalo Bill Museum and I got really into who Buffalo Bill Cody was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a pretty awesome guy. But I think if you could be born with both eidetic memory and like a the knowing of every single language, I think that's yeah that would definitely encapsulate who Buffalo Bill really was. That is a superpower. Like, it was almost true. So, like, just being able to understand and speak to every single like person and being and thing, I think Buffalo Bill would have could have, and that'd be a sweet narrative to his story. <laughs> nice. I like that. Cool. Susan. Okay, I did think of a different one that I was gonna say. So this is a little bit better than my original one, which was gonna be Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> Oh, no. Because <laughs> only magic has gotten us where we are right now. It can't just be that everyone's this stupid. Anyway. Dark, dark um, magic. James Reed is who I'm going to say instead. Um, he is the only adult survivor of the Donner Party. Um, which is a story that I'm kind of obsessed with in like a not creepy, Fair. well, a sort of creepy way, I guess. That's fine. Um I don't know how anyone uh, made it out of that. And his life was pretty fucked up afterwards. But I think to get through that, magic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, So me, I didn't go yet. I'm just going to go with my first, um, the first thing that came to my mind. And Martin Luther King Jr., I thought of him first because as a child, he was sort of like, the historical figure that I always like read a ton about and was like super interested in. Um, so I'm going back to that. And um, I think he was an empath. I think he could feel other people's emotions in a uh, magical way. Interesting. So that's what I'm going to go with. Oh, what? Um, But yeah, we're, we're, no, I just like messed up the thing I said about James Reed. That's cool. My brain's not functioning. (laughs) <laughs> you want to do that the only one that survived that yeah, wrote about it like the actual first-hand accounts of surviving <laughs> but there weren't very many survivors <laughs> it's okay. close enough it oh, okay. Okay. that's fine that's still right 
Um, yeah. I'm so hot. <laughs> so hot talking about the Donner Party. It gets you really going. <laughs> not weird, though. That would be creepy. But not in a not creepy way. Um, okay. It might have been the Buffalo Bill Cody talk. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason we're talking about historical figures with magical powers is um, this book, The Water Dancer, actually includes. I don't know if this is a spoiler. So I'm going to... Yeah, do we give spoilers on this? Yes, yeah. Let's just do a So I'm going to go ahead now. and before I say anything else, I'm going to say spoiler warning for the rest of the episode because I don't want to accidentally say this and somebody be like, oh my gosh, that was a spoiler. Because maybe you think this is a spoiler, maybe you don't. I don't think anything's ever a spoiler, so I'm going to err on the side of caution. I mean, I think it's fair to say this novel is pitched as being like a little magical realist. Yes, but there is a historical figure yes. in this novel, Harriet Tubman, who... Um, it is highly suggested that she has uh, magical powers of conduction, which we will be talking about. So, yeah, pretty interesting as a concept. We'll get into all of that. But, you know, before we do that, I got to read this description. And I always mess these up. <laughs> so let me just take a good old sip of wine before I do all this. <clears throat> all right. Here's something that's really interesting before I get into this. Um, so just to prepare for this, I, I read a lot of interviews with the author today. Or not read. I watched a lot of interviews with the author today. Um, I think he's, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, I think he's a really interesting guy. Um, and one of the reasons I picked this book is because I've seen him speak before and I've seen interviews with him before, but I've never, like, read any of his work before. Um, but I was... I found it fascinating how many people interviewing him did not know how to pronounce Hiram. Yeah, yeah I know how to pronounce Hiram because of Riverdale. So I just feel like it's a pretty common name, but people were like Haram, and I was like, "Why are you trying?" I've to never make known it? anyone <laughs> like, named Hiram, and when but shortening it, they like they always wrote it as H I, and I always pronounce that high. Yeah. So I just figured hi. Well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> that took me a while to get used to as well. I was like, why is here? everyone saying hi all the time? Like. Hi. Yeah, I saw Trevor Noah. But anyway. Uh, I saw yeah. Trevor Noah pronounce it. Wrong. Yeah, he did. Um, so I'm going to read this now. <laughs> Young Hiram Walker was born into bondage. When his mother was sold away, Hiram was robbed of all memory of her, but was gifted with a mysterious power. Years later, when Hiram almost drowns in a river, that same power saves his life. This brush with death bursts an urgency in Hiram and a daring scheme to escape from the only home he's ever known. So begins an unexpected journey that takes Hiram from the corrupt grandeur of Virginia's proud plantations to desperate guerrilla cells in the wilderness, from the coffin of the deep south to dangerously idealistic movements in the north. Even as he's enlisted in the underground war between slavers and the enslaved, Hiram's resolve to rescue the family he left behind endures. This is the dramatic story of an atrocity inflicted on generations of women, men, and children, the violent and capricious separation of families, and the war they waged to simply make lives with the people they loved. Written by one of today's most exciting thinkers and writers, The Water Dancer is a propulsive, transcendent work that restores the humanity of those from whom everything was stolen. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, so Tanahasi Coates has written a lot of stuff before this, but this is his first novel um and it's a little bit magic as we were saying 
Um, but I think to me, the thing that stood out the most, and so this is where I want to start our conversation is, um, the power of memory and storytelling as a theme throughout the novel. Um, not only is memory really important to Hiram, but, um, other characters throughout the story are constantly, not constantly, but are they, they often tell their own stories to Hiram. And one of the things about Hiram that makes him special is he remembers these stories. He remembers everything. Um, yeah. So why? Yeah. He remembers everything. Um, so why is it that stories are so important? Well, uh, I think that when you are dealing with a population of people who are like consistently like harmed and killed and, you know, like that kind of loss is, uh, something that would make memories really important because it's like the idea of, of, like taking someone on into the future, even though they were given like they didn't have like a a dignified ending because of you know slavery and how much that was fucking shitty. So does that make sense? Yeah, I mean when you yeah. when you walk, read the book you, from the get go, he tells you how he has yeah. what I'm going to assume is eidetic memory or an eidetic memory. Um, it's like a preservation. Yeah, kind of like what Kelly alluded to. It's that's, that's how these stories live on from generation to generation. When you hear something in one plantation, or you know, at the time, and it just spreads. You know, it can spread because this is you know the mid eighteen hundreds. Yeah, memory is the big part of all this. Is storytelling. Yeah, and especially when like so much of those histories have been erased and and rewritten, and you know, we see today like statues of. Um, enslavers getting torn down finally but these are like the the things that you know our society like white like led society has decided to uphold and the things that they've decided are important to remember um and like where are the monuments to all of these people who lost all of these things uh they don't exist currently right the people who actually built america right and so Um. all of those people would be like lost to history if not for the retelling of these stories. And right. I think that they, they knew that at the time too. They knew that like, you know, these white people don't think of us as people. So they're not going to tell our story. So we have to. I think also there's, I totally agree with everything um, you guys have said, but there's also like storytelling, especially as like an oral tradition has such ancient roots, you know, like before recorded history. It's like even after recorded history, oral storytelling was still a big part of art, still a big part of the transmission of information because reading was such a, uh, you know, like, limited thing like everyone didn't know how to read so i don't know i mean i think that there's something there too as like you can take away a written text like you said kelly you can like um not tell people stories in the history books but you can't take away a memory or a story you've heard but also there's like a communal aspect to it i guess i guess and like communing both Mm -hmm with the past through telling the story and communing with a tradition of storytelling. I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
And I think, yeah, community is really important in this as well. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this more, but I think, you know, so many uh, people are separated from their communities, separated from their families. And then all they have left of them is stories and memories. And I think that's one of the things that's so tragic about Hiram's story is that um, he loses his mother very early on and um, doesn't have any memory of her. Um, And then one of the things that he's really fighting for throughout the novel is building on that memory, not only to, just remember her, but also because it literally gives him powers. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if we want to talk about the magic a little bit and how it works. Um, it was a little, um, fuzzy for me. (laughs) Um, I, I loved it being fuzzy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was on purpose, but so let's talk about it. Um, so Hiram has this, ability called conduction. Um, and I think part of the reason it's fuzzy is like, he's not even sure exactly how it works. Yeah. But like, basically. Right. And so like it, and he doesn't even know, he's not even really in control of when it happens until the end. Um, Mm -hmm. or like why it happens, but, um, it's connected to his memories specifically. Like, um, it seems like, memories of his mother and um it gives him the power to move or it's like teleporting yeah basically like teleport like very quickly i was about to say like move very quickly but then i'm like well then it sounds like it's like (laughs) running really fast which isn't what happened what's happening um yeah (laughs) yes he he gets to (laughs) play baseball like a twilight vampire no that's not what's happening um so and he's not the only person who can do this. We find out later that Harriet Tubman can also do this. Um, but why do you think that is the magic in this book? And what is the value of this besides just being able to like escape? Like it's, I think it's very important that this is like attached to memory in it, that it works in this way. Right. Yeah. But like, why? Well, one thing I think, One thing I want to say quickly is that I think it's really clever to call it conduction because it's like, you know, you can think of conduction as like, like conducting energy and that kind of thing, but also like train railroad. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I thought that was cool. But I think, I think that like the, the fact that the memories are sort of like powering this ability, empowering this like thing that helps people to escape is like, like calling on like the past like pain of people who couldn't do this, but they're like now here, their memory serves you to help you escape what killed them basically. Um, and I think that's like kind of the most like powerful part of it, I guess. Yeah. I think as, as it goes on, the more and more he does go into, or starts in the conduction. Um, it, uh, the way he sees people from this past that very, very vividly that he remembers. And it's, and then eventually when he does it with Harriet and she sees, I'm already forgetting the name. I want to say Abram, Abraham, the little kid that she sees. I don't know. I'm going crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's just Abe. Abe. Abe, Maybe I forget. I don't know if I'm making that up, but, um, 
I really thought about putting a character list in here, but then I was like, we'll be fine. Uh, but, but, you know, how it's attached so. to these people deep inside your memory as to why you do it. And, and, and like, seeing somebody either new or in a different light every time he stepped in, you could tell he was getting better at it and it was working in a different way. And But it's all memory. It's all, like, the more he kept remembering or seeing things and just got better and better at it until eventually he finally gets control over it. Yeah. I think one of the coolest things too, is that um, he doesn't need this power to help himself escape. Like he's Mm -hmm. able to do that without it, but in the end, like he really needs it to help the people he loves escape, which connects back to this idea of like, I don't know, um, family and preserving these families because, you know, he's able to get, um, so, you know, if you are listening to this and you haven't read, um, now, see, now I can't think of her name. The the woman who like, Athena. Athena. Thank you. So, you know, he's able to get Athena back to her family or at least part Mm -hmm. of her family, um, to her daughter. And he's, you know, able to help Sophia out too. Um, and this, so like, it's more important to him to use that magic to help others than yeah. it was to help himself. Yeah, even though the first time it was to help yeah. himself, you know, it was, and he didn't know it. He definitely didn't know it because, um, yeah, that was the first time really experiencing it as in a as an adult. Because I think the first time it happened was when he was what four, seven. Yeah. And so when yeah. he falls into that river. Yeah, it's just it just happens, and I feel like a, you know a lot of his power does revolve around water, as well. Yeah, and so it all just mm-hmm. came to him, and yeah, I just thought that was a neat way to start it. Yeah, I really yeah. like that beginning. Really drew me in. Like I, especially the first, the, like the first hundred pages of this book, I read really fast, um, just because I was like so interested in like what was happening mm-hmm. it had such a mysterious <clears throat> element of it that was like slowly being revealed and i i was al- i was also really satisfied with like the eventual revelation that like in order to conduct he needs water he needs an item that ties him yeah. to a memory and then that specific yeah. memory can move him like throughout that memory in in space sort of yeah. Um yeah. and like him realizing um, that it was like a clicking moment where I was like, "Oh cool, like that make it makes sense now." Like I didn't really expect it to ever make that much sense. I thought it was just going to remain kind of vague. Um mm-hmm. cuz magical realism yeah. does that a lot where it's just like you don't need to know how it works, it just <laughs> yeah. does, you know. Um so I liked that cuz I always um, I always like an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was nice too because then we got the thing at the end where he finds his mother's mm-hmm. necklace um, and then he gets to be like really angry at his yeah. dad uh, for like I mean because then like we know that so okay again um, if you haven't read this his father is the white slave mm-hmm. owner um, so obviously there's a weird power dynamic there but so like we know we know that his father is withholding power from him like and this is a very like literal way that his father is withholding mm-hmm. power from him for like by keeping this necklace from him. So, I mean, 
one of the many ways. Yeah, and that, that necklace is basically, know. like, tied to the memory of his mother. And I guess, like, when his father took it away, he somehow... This is one thing that I'm a little unclear on is how he actually lost the memory of his mom. Yeah. And a part of it, I think, was implied that it was, like, suppression of a memory or, like, it was it was so painful that he pushed it down until he just didn't have it. Yeah. Um, but it also seems like it happened so sort of, like, suddenly. Like, as soon as she left and gave him this necklace and then the necklace was taken away by his father, he, like, couldn't even remember her name, like, anything about her. Um. And not that, right. not that that needs to have an explanation, but, uh, you know, I think that, like, the r- part of the reason that, like, he figures out how to conduct and, and everything is because he gets that necklace back and then finally, like, has this, like, most important memory returned to him and he wasn't able to, like, wholly help other people or, like, t- perform conduction without, like, finding that part of himself. So that was kind of like his journey back to those memories and then like making himself like a whole person. Yeah. I want to talk about the women in this novel because obviously like that's very interesting to me. Uh, (laughs) But also it kind of connects to what we were talking about in the last episode because we talked about, in the last episode, we talked about um, uh, Stamp from the Beginning. I was like, what's the name of that book? It's been so long. Um, we talked about Stamp from the Beginning, and one of the things we talked about with that book is how um, Kendi does acknowledge the way that civil rights movements and feminism have ignored black women. Um, and I think that this book... For me personally, I felt like this book did a really good job of examining the very specific experiences of black women um, who they don't use the word slavery in this book. So I feel like we should not either. Um, The test women. Um, I, I, I personally felt and we can talk about this because you might have felt differently, but I felt like. Coates does a good job of examining the very specific experiences women have. Um, in comparison to men and sort of like looking at, at how that power dynamic works across gender lines. Um, I also think clearly the women in Hiram's life are very important to him. And uh, like, he's mostly surrounded by women mm-hmm. throughout the novel, honestly. Um, so I just like, I didn't really know how to phrase this question. Cause it's actually like 500 yeah. questions. Um, <laughs> And I have a three B that I want to get to this question three and then I have three B. But yeah, let's talk about women in this novel. Like, how do we feel? Do we feel satisfied with the way that the novel examines women who are in this position? And how do we feel about Hiram's relationship to the women in this novel? We can go in any direction you want. That's a lot. Yeah, I I personally, (laughs) I I think Thena was my favorite character in the whole book. She's really good. Um, Yeah, I I absolutely loved her character Um, from, like, the moment, like, he starts getting close and her character arc just really starts building. I fell in love with her as, and I, like, I wanted her to be my mom (laughs) at some point, you know, like, um, I, yeah, I took, I took, I took that out of the book, like, pretty early on once, 
you realize that it's attached to his mom and his aunt Emma and um how do you guys pronouncing Corin? Corin? Corin, yeah, I think. That's Corinne. how Corinne on the back. Yeah, like even she still it, plays the, the same way. <laughs> Most important. Yeah, we go by bachelor yeah. rules, so <laughs> Um, so Corinne, um, yeah, no, it's, it's very, very, a lot of influence in Hiram's life when it comes to the female, to the females that are in his life. And he attaches them very, very quickly. Cause even, um, man, a character list would have been nice. I forget (laughs) now. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. I really, the baker in Philadelphia's wife, he even attaches to her really quick. Um, oh yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. See. I'm just gonna look up a character list right now, y'all. And so there's uh, there are a lot uh, of characters in this. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was like, maybe I should do that character list, and you know, I did not. I did not. But you know, I think that's definitely a pretty good role in in it all because Hiram isn't complete until he has his mom's yeah. side of him, and because he's always had that his father there with him his entire life. I'm putting a link to a character list up at the top that someone else did. So. Um, I agree with you. I think Thena's a great character. I really, like, what's, what really stuck out to me, and I'm, I, like, say, like, marked a bunch of passages in this book that, like, I found really meaningful. And just, like, the way that the relationship with Sophia is handled is, like, so interesting to me. Because I think, you know, when we're talking about these women who are tasked, like, for them, like, getting out of freedom often comes at the price of, like, having a man take them to freedom and then feeling like they owe that man. Yep. Um, or or right. being made to owe that man, essentially. And, like, Sophia's whole thing, and you have – this is your 3B, where uh, – so- Yeah. Go, go, you can, you okay, can take it so away. Sophia go says in order to belong to Hiram, she must never belong to Hiram. Um, and I think that that's so important because, you know, what she's saying to him is like, if you want like us to be together, like I, it, it needs to be my choice. And like, if I am just yours yeah. and I'm like, I'm not going to go from being one person's property to another mm-hmm. person's property. Like that's not freedom. And I think that, you right. know, that's a problem that, like women and and specifically black women especially in this circumstance you know have to deal with because like as, as hard as it is to be you know a a black man then being a black woman and having this like misogyny and like even less opportunity put on you um is you know extremely difficult and i think that this book like yeah. really acknowledges that there is this whole additional other world of struggle that like Hiram himself like does not recognize until later in life. And so because this book is kind of told from, you know, some future perspective that we don't, we don't know like where he is in life as he's telling us this story. But he a lot of times says like, I didn't realize at the time, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I want to read this one part. This was like the, and I do want to note, like he is, I think like twenty. Yeah, he's very young during this book. So he's yeah. very young. He doesn't know shit about exactly. Women at this point. And this was it. like the first thing um, that I marked, and it's like right at the beginning uh, when he first like starts kind of like you know trying to get in with Sophia, um, and it says, uh, "I do not claim to have loved Sophia then, 
though I thought I did. I was young, and love to me was a fuse that was lit, not a garden that was grown. Love was not concerned with any deep knowledge of its object, of their wants and dreams, but mainly with the joy felt in their presence and the sickness felt in their departure. Um, so that was, like, so cool to me that it was, like, this realization that, like, I was young and I thought that, like, just because this woman was, like, hot and I wanted to be around her, like, that I loved her. And, like, I didn't know shit about her. Like, I didn't know anything. Like, I didn't love her then because I didn't know her and I didn't care about her. I only cared about the way she made me feel. In the pants. Um, <laughs> in the pants. So, yeah. I And I just think that that's, um, like, repeated throughout as, like, a theme of their relationship yeah. and it's so like it, it turns into kind of this really beautiful love story yeah. at the end and it makes yeah. it so much more powerful knowing like what he had to realize for that to happen and i think in it's not just in his story we we hear this in a couple of the male female relationships in the novel but i think one of the things that's highlighted in this relationship is um issues of toxic masculinity and feelings of possessiveness and i think that's it's exacerbated by the fact that um these these uh task men feel like they have no control over what's happening to the women in their lives and they feel like as men they're supposed to be protecting these women. Um, and we see this with Hiram because he comes back and he realizes that Sophia has a child and it's not his child. It's a white man's child. <laughs> uh, it's not just a white man's child. It's, it's his uncle's child. Um, but they're related in a weird <laughs> way now. That's all there is to that. Um, but he has a lot of anger about that and he doesn't really know where to place that anger because he's like, I know I shouldn't be angry with her, but I'm, I'm angry. Yeah. Um, and I want to do the right thing and because I love her. And like, I, this, this child is basically like kin of mine. So I want to take care of it too, as if it were my own, but like, it takes him a little while to like reconcile with his feelings of anger and his feelings of possessiveness. Um, because he also realizes like, well, you know, when we were hanging out originally, like she was pregnant already. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um. then she's also like, do you, do you think this is what I wanted? Like, yeah. <laughs> cause it's not, um. I was fucking raped. Okay. Like, right. But I, I think that's, it, it really complicates things that, um, because, you know, and I can't remember, I'm trying to remember the characters' names, like, because this happens with other characters in the book where, like, the man gets really angry because his, like, because oh, some like, white um, man. Harriet's, is it Harriet's brothers? Yeah. One of her brothers has this yeah, happen, sort of. Right. It's like a minor character, so, like, I cannot remember their I names. I think his name I'm was sorry. Robert, actually. Yeah. yeah. List here. Yes. Okay. This list is right. so matter of fact. I'm so sorry. It yet, but it's like, Thena, laundry woman, yeah. period. It's... <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Look, that's not wrong, necessarily. Um, but yeah, like, this is a pattern that we see where, like, these these men feel anger because they can't quote-unquote protect these women, but it's also like they can't fully possess these women. 
you know? I feel like since we get the novel from Hiram's perspective, even if it is in the future, he's got to, like, catch up to the women, almost. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. the amount of trauma that Sophia has gone through right. is, like, different in a different horrific sort of way that Hiram just, like, can't understand. Yeah. And right. he almost has to, like, he's not ready for Sophia at the beginning of the novel. <laughs> like, he's not going to be able to respect her how she needs to be respected or deserves to be. And so, I mean, I think he's trying to, like, play catch up. And he really does have to, like, go on this whole separate journey himself and learn and grow in order to, like, return at the end of the novel and be able to comprehend that it's actually the better thing to do to accept her child as his and be a father figure and treat Sophia like she's an autonomous human. Yeah. And not someone yeah. to be possessed because all she's been is possessed. Yeah. 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 And I, I knew there was going to be a really, really good reason as to why she kept saying that the entire book where, you know, she was like, I'm never going to be any man's property can, because mm-hmm. she wasn't that, it, you know, it had to be under her rules. And you eventually learned that I forget the line, but it's an awesome line there at the end um, when it finally comes to fruition. But like, yeah, I, that was that was just awesome because she knew she I mean she knows what she wants. She knows exactly mm-hmm. who she is and what she wants and what she's been through and who she needs to fill that big empty void and Hiram wasn't there. Yeah. Like you just simply wasn't. Um gosh, I feel like we could go in a lot of directions from there. <laughs> so um Let's talk about family, though. Um, and we've, we've touched on this a little bit already, but um, I was watching an interview, or not an interview, it's more like a discussion, but I guess Ibrahim X. Kendi is mostly interviewing Coates. So this is very interesting because we read Kendi for mm-hmm. our last episode. Um, so if you're interested in this, it is like an hour and 15 minutes long and super detailed. Um but very interesting. So um, we'll link to it, and I'm going to refer to it a couple of times in this episode, probably. I got, I got like 40 minutes into it before this started. Yeah. Also, it sounds <laughs> dope because Kendi and Coates are like the two biggest yeah. black male academics. Yeah. I don't know that Coates would want to be described as an academic, but like he has written tons of essays that are used right. in academia. Right. Um, well... Anyway, so in this talk, one of the things that Coates says is that one of his goals with this novel was to really get across how black families were destroyed for profit. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, he said that. I was like, yeah, I definitely got that from this book. Um, all, like, And, you know, we were talking about this earlier with stories and memory. Like, so much of this book is about, like, preserving family and preserving community through stories because, like, you you don't get you don't get to keep your family yeah. like that's not a privilege you have, um, and so I don't know what I want to ask about that. Just this like, hey, family is really important in this. Um, but 
You know, I think one of the things that's interesting, too, is that family isn't just blood in this novel. And sometimes blood family is complicated, especially if your father is a slave owner. and Your slave owner. Yeah. so, yeah, how is family defined and complicated in this novel, I guess, is the best way to ask that, maybe. I I was really interested in the relationship between Hiram and his father, because, like, it is clear, just from history, from the novel, like, yeah, black families torn apart by yeah. slavery for profit, for pettiness, for all sorts of reasons. Not even, like, a yeah. lot of profit. Yeah. Right. A like, lot I of think... it was for pettiness. A lot of it was like, you won't sleep with me, or you're not going to like be happy that we're sleeping together. Well, I guess I'm selling your husband and your children. So. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like, that's all horrific. Yes. But I think it's all, it's interesting how Hiram's father, because his own like fully white son was so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It almost seemed like he wished Hiram wasn't black, that he could yes. sort of inherit yeah. things, that he could sort of fully be accepted as his son. And the whole mm. novel, he seemed to like struggle back and forth with, well, I don't know, I want to treat Hiram better because he's my son, but also he's my slave. And that complicates things. I don't know that that relationship ever gets resolved per se because it can't like based on the system that's been created yeah and just like ultimately like his father is not a good person no something that he has to accept like (laughs) even if this man has some kind of like attachment to me and like supposed love for me because i am his kin like he doesn't like he doesn't actually care about me or like anyone like me, he doesn't care about black people at all. The yeah. only reason he he feels anything for me is because. And the book does a really good job of reminding you that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mabel, sorry. And that's something Thena says a couple of times. Is she says like I'm more of a mother to you than he is a father yeah. to you. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So, and I think that's interesting too because, you know, we talk about blood relations, but I think we see a couple of times that Hiram gains family that isn't yeah. related to him by blood, but is related to him through community. Yes. Um, both when he is tasked and when he is on the other side and is free, he, he makes family for himself. Um, and there's a bond that these people share through shared experiences through um, just like, you know, my mother and I miss my mother, that type of thing. Like, Yeah. I found that very interesting and sad, but I think it got the point across pretty well. Like, And yeah. it, the book does a really good job of telling you a lot, uh, going really in-depth on other people's families, not just Hiram's, because mm-hmm. you learn intri- like little intricate things about every mm-hmm. single person, like every single family in that book. I mean, if, starting from Georgie and his wife and their brand new kid to like the bakery owner who I just looked up, his name is Mars. I remember that now. Um, I don't know how, don't know how I forgot yeah. that. Oh yeah. Um, and can we also <laughs> talk about the fact that there's a character named Mercury in this book as well? And I, I caught onto that when I was reading it. But, um, but you, you learn very, very intricate things about all these people's families <laughs> and all these families. And it definitely, you can tell that it's a very, very huge part of the book is the importance of family and how it comes through and how it all ties into not only what Hiram is pursuing and trying to find, but 
pretty much what we're all about. I mean, we all ident- identify with having families in one way or another, but it goes, it does a really good job of showing you how painful it can be to have a family and to be a black person and relate that to the common reader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, something you said, Sae, reminded me, like, one of my favorite things about this novel is there are parts where other characters will just, like, go on a long monologue yeah. about their families and go, like, just, I'm going to tell you a story now about how I got here. Me, this character who's going to be here for one chapter. <laughs> and Hiram yeah. says, like, he's the type of person that people just, talk, like, talk. Yeah. To, yeah. Basically. I think that's really cool as a narrative device, though, especially because it's already established like Hiram doesn't forget things he remembers everything exactly and then to have like these people telling their personal stories it like allows Coates as an author to go really in depth on other people's stories so you get excuse me like tons of examples of other experiences besides Hiram's but then also just from like a narrative standpoint it was cool to me as a reader like I enjoyed getting these like yeah. weird breakaway monologues. Well, it's satisfying too because yeah. like you were saying, you know that it's not just somebody like talking to the wind. Like you know like they're telling this story and it's going to be remembered in detail. And not only that, but like it's going to be remembered so well that like Hiram could tell that like carry on that story and tell it to somebody else. So it feels valuable um in a way that just like normal let me tell you this story stories maybe sometimes don't feel you know (laughs) i think it like satisfies my urge because i'm kind of nosy about (laughs) stuff that doesn't like personally matter to me like i'm the person who goes to restaurants and is like did you hear that that woman just said that the salon botched her haircut you know it doesn't matter but (laughs) my favorite is to listen into first dates love it like i I think that's satisfied like hearing those stories All of those stories mattered, and they did have a point, and I think, like, we're contributing to something larger that the book was doing, but it felt like peeking in to other people's lives. Well, honestly, isn't that what fiction is? Just getting the hot gas. Yeah, just getting the hot gas about not real people. (laughs) All right. I want to talk about Corinne, because... Yes. She's complicated. I have um, a quote and, about her, too. Yeah, and Hawkins is connected to her as well, so I just lump them together because they're both kind of, like, complicated characters. Um, how do we feel about Corinne? Uh, Kelly, yeah, give us your quote. So, all right. Um, because I think Corinne is, like, the the perfect, like, character constructed to represent, like, like the way that white people center yeah. themselves. Yeah. Like, yeah. when it comes to, like, tr- when even when they're trying to be allies and when they're trying to support black people. Um, so hold on, let me find this quote. I mean, look at us, a bunch of white people talking about these black people in this book. Exactly. Part of the problem. Hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of white people and say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who is not black, though? Just want to say. So. Sorry, Sai. Thanks for clarifying. You're just not. not. (laughs) You nailed it. Nailed it. 
accurate. Okay. That was like you to, had like, to convince him. Like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Saeed. I'm sorry. We have to break something to you. Um, okay. Corinne Quinn was among the most fanatical agents I ever encountered on the underground. All of these fanatics were white. They took slavery as a personal insult or affront, a stain upon their name. They had seen women carried off to fancy or watched as a father was stripped and beaten in front of his child, or seen whole families pinned like hogs into rail cars, steamboats, and jails. Slavery humiliated them because it offended a basic sense of goodness that they believed themselves to possess. And when their cousins perpetrated the base practice, it served to remind them how easily they might do the same. They scorned their barbaric brethren, but they were brethren all the same. So their opposition was a kind of vanity, a hatred of slavery that far outranked any love of the slave. Corinne was no different, and it was why, relentless as she was against slavery, she could so casually condemn me to the whole, condemn Georgie Parks to death, and mock an outrage put upon Sophia. Yeah. So it's like... Damn if that ain't relevant today. (laughs) Corinne did make Hiram, like, live in a pit. (laughs) She was fucking insane. Like, what the hell? And that's yeah. the thing is like the like the white people in this book, Curran specifically, take this up as yeah. a cause and mm-hmm. are no longer concerned with the individuals. They're they're not like he says, you know, like they're against slavery. They like, but not for like love of the slave. They're yeah. just against the idea and the concept of it. But mm-hmm. they. You know, so their their goal is to get rid of the institution without thinking about their methods and how those methods affect the people affected yeah, by the institution. The same thing happening with police brutality and police reform. Right. We're doing right. a lot of symbolic things, but not a lot of actual <laughs> things. Yeah. That help anyone. Yeah. Like I forgot the exact tweet, but like, you know, um, I think it's in Texas where they stopped calling the bedroom, the master bedroom. And someone was tweeted like, that's cool and everything, but how about like, you know, actually like defunding the police or like enacting laws that would like actually help black people. (laughs) I saw a tweet about that too. And it was like, this isn't the problem. No. (laughs) (laughs) It was right. from a black person saying, like, this is not something that we're collectively mad about no. right now. Like, <laughs> but, like, yeah. thanks. <laughs> like, all of these old shows, like, going in and being like, we're deleting our blackface episodes. And it's like, well, A, you shouldn't have made them in the first place. Uh, and B, like, that already happened. We it. And, mm-hmm. like, you can go back and say, like... Yeah, we yeah. It. <laughs> like Like, 30 Rock, we know. We know. Yeah, it was wrong. Yeah, we know what you did. Tina oh my Fey. god, I saw that recently <laughs> again, and had kind of forgotten that that. Oh yeah, I know it existed. It's rough. Tina Fey. It's like it's funny, just like as a sidebar to see yeah. Twitter like re-exploding over Tina Fey because yeah. like everyone knows yeah. she's racist. Like we've all known this. Like we like, all. Where were you in the two thousand like, years ago? So it's. it's yeah, so so many people on Twitter right now are like, why does it, like, no one talks about how yeah. Tina Fey, blah, blah. I'm we're like, just, we're talk done about talking about that. Well, here's the thing. I think that. those people that are tweeting this yeah. were like children in 2003. Like, 
four-year-old could be. So they're just like they're catching up now. All right. <laughs> I mean, I barely remember that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a child. I'm yeah. just saying. Well, there. I don't she also think I, like used social media in that yeah. way back then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd completely forgotten about it until you guys just brought it up. Like, well, there this yeah. whole controversy happened when Kimmy Schmidt that that like second season of Kimmy Schmidt came out and she had Titus do like yellow face <laughs> in it like this ridiculous episode where it's basically her like saying that people who get upset about things are just being babies. It's basically like a the precursor to making fun of quote unquote snowflakes. You're right. I mean, honestly, oh, the like the theme mess. song to Kimmy Schmidt is super racist. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kimmy Schmidt's a yeah. very problematic show. There's also anyway. a whole multi season plot line about a white woman who is portrayed as a Native American. <laughs> anyway, yes. yeah. <laughs> um, but shout out to Titus. Who I know. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Titus. What's up? You deserve better. Peter Scholes, what's up? <laughs> uh, yeah. I wish you were drinking Pinot Noir right well, now, you but know, you're not. Cedar Scholes representing, though, right, Saeed? No. You got a white wine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I will, however, say that the Queen of Jordan episodes of 30 Rock are some of the greatest yeah. television. Season 3 of 30 Rock is the greatest yeah. season of television to ever be recorded. I've never watched 30 Rock. It's also a great show. And, like, I'm kind of good because I, I don't like Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot of Alec Baldwin in yeah, it, Yeah, so. there is. Actually, he's really good on it. I don't oh, like man. him as a person, but he does yeah. do a good yes. job. Season, like I said, see, okay, I'll take that back. Sitcom-wise, season three of 30 Rock is the greatest sitcom season, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. it's It's good. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's good. amended. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wish I could yeah. say like I I literally just rewatched yeah. it, and I wish I could say that I didn't enjoy it. But <laughs> guess what? I did. I'm still in the middle of my rewatch. We like kind of took a pause on it, but yeah, uh, yeah. So a lot of it holds up. <laughs> some of it doesn't. Yeah, just some things you're like, oh, I don't. I don't know about that. Well, and the problem <laughs> is that, like, the show is constantly acknowledging racism and thinks that just acknowledging yeah. it is enough. Mm-hmm. It's, like, constantly, like, teen, like Liz Lemon will, some something, like, ridiculously racist will happen. Liz Lemon will be like, that's racist. And then she'll, like, follow that up by also saying something racist. And then the joke's like, oh, like, she's a white lady. She's also racist, but she <laughs> thinks she isn't. But that's, like, the whole yeah. joke. And it doesn't go any further than that. Oops. So... So, Corinne, everyone. Uh, Corinne is the Tina Fey of white ladies. Corinne is Tina Fey. White ladies like myself. Is that yeah, what Corinne is the Corinne Tina, Tina Fey of the water dance? <laughs> okay. And that's yeah. the episode title, so I think we're done here. Um, okay, well, I also want to talk about some of the problematic characters who aren't white, like uh, Hawkins and Georgie. Um, oh, I can I've been waiting for this Georgie conversation yeah. for a long time. All right, Say, take it away. Tell me about <laughs> Georgie. Off, I hate him. I hate him. I got so mad. <laughs> so mad. So <clears throat> it, it kind of got personal for me in that sense of why I got so mad at Georgie. Just because 
uh, like reading this book, I to get a little too personal, never had the greatest relationship with my father, and clearly Hiram doesn't with his. Yeah. And so when he picked up Georgie, I was like, oh sweet, he is gonna have like that father figure that comes into his life and is awesome. And then it all and then it all yeah. backfires. And my <laughs> god, and I he never got that sweet sweet vengeance. But, yeah, I know, because you kind of think like, okay, this is gonna, because, you know, like the way the book sets it up, you're like, this is gonna, they're gonna have a face off eventually yeah. or something. Yeah, you know, I, but yeah, you just like, man. you're so lulled into liking Georgie, like, I don't know, Georgie's made it for himself. He got man, out. Yeah, he's doing good. He just had a kid. He's got a wife. He's doing great. And then it's like, oh, no, Georgie's actually awful. He is the worst. And secretly, <laughs> he is the yeah. worst. Like tattling and selling other men. I, I mean, but the thing is, is though, like you can kind of understand it in a twisted way because Georgie's just like taking what little autonomy he can get. Yeah, you gotta look out for yourself, you know. But like, it still like Marshall sucks. Lynch said, "Take care of your <laughs> And yeah, I don't know, man. But still, like just the way it set it up. And it just hit, I guess it hit a little close to home for me, and that's probably why. Like, I can only yeah. imagine being put in that position, I'd just be like, just damn it. Yeah. <laughs> like, of all yeah, people. Yeah, for sure. Of all people. Yeah, it's really a huge yeah. betrayal. And sure. granted, he does subtly try to warn him without telling too much. He keeps telling him to go home. Like, yeah. Go home. Yeah. But then... But also, it's like, mm-hmm. is this a, I have to, like, bother you about it three times, and then you will... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that's really, I don't know, heartbreaking about it is, like, in the beginning, Georgie's, like, aspirational. Yeah. You know? It's like, if only I could be like Georgie. And then it's like, oh, I don't want to be like Georgie. At all. (laughs) Well, it's like everything that is given to you or supposedly given to you by these terrible people, the quality, everything that you might get from them comes at a cost. And that is, like, you know, what they realize when, like, the only way to, like, truly get out and be free is to, like, do it through the underground or through, like, the help of of other tasked people. Because you can't just, like, get your freedom from these, like, enslavers. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and then Hawkins, um, I thought his character was really neat in the sense that... He remains a pretty good mystery for a majority of the book, in my opinion. Like you, you don't get too much into the background mm-hmm. of Hawkins, um, and for that matter, Amy, who I believe mm-hmm. was his sister. Yeah. Um, and but it's, I don't know. I feel like he definitely played a huge role. I mean, he saved Hiram out of water twice from when he wasn't. He didn't know he was yeah. conducting, and I mean, I guess he knew exactly what had happened when he discovered him because he'd been in the game for a little bit. Um, the game, what, the, game. the game. He'd been in the underground for a while. Um, <laughs> the game is a fun. He's in the game. You get it. Very uh, serious game. Yeah. <laughs> of and, lives. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but like, and I don't know. I, his character is really cool. I wish he would have had a little more. Yeah. I don't know how much more Hawkins yeah. I could have dealt with, but um, I thought he was definitely an interesting character, yeah. and him and Corinne's relationship was really neat to to see in the sense that I really do think she cared about Hawkins more than anybody. Yeah. And he like went to bat for her. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I think 
that was a pretty interesting scene, like yeah. kind of the last conversation that we see b- between Hiram and Hawkins, where you kind of expect Hawkins to like tell Hiram off or, or like get him in trouble somehow because Hiram basically went against the rules and uh, conducted Fina out of uh, that place. And then they are talking and Hawkins is basically like, listen, like, I do what I do for Corinne because she saved me and, you know, really, like, saved my life. And so I'm pretty devoted to her and I think that she's right and, like, I understand what her cause (laughs) is. But, like, you do Mm -hmm. you, bro. (laughs) That's, like, basically how the conversation goes. And, like, I respected that because it was kind of Hawkins being, like, I understand, like, why you don't understand why I do what I do. But, like, we just have different approaches and that's just kind of how it is. That makes sense. Um, I guess I just kind of thought of Hawkins as morally ambiguous because of his connection to Corinne and the things that he does. Yeah. Like, but I, but I guess like that's more on her than on him. Yeah. And it's like, it's his prerogative to decide that he wants to try to assist the greater right. whole in any way right. that he can, you know? Even if that means using Hiram as bait, it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think what he did was right, but, like, I can certainly understand, like, the position that he found himself in, you know? I get it, but I don't like it. Yeah. Um, another character that was an interesting inclusion, we mentioned her earlier, um, Harriet Tubman is in this book. Just um, straight up Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Like, at yeah. first, they kind of alluded to it being Harriet Tubman, and then I was like, nope, this is Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Tubman She's like, my last name, Tubman. <laughs> yeah. Said it several times. Just to be clear, my name is Harriet Laughing Tubman. This is my husband, Ron. Ron Tubman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forget what her husband actually knows. Um, <laughs> so yeah. how do we feel about this inclusion of an actual historical figure in the story? I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. Um, I only thing I kind of didn't like is the fact that like Harriet Tubman, when she worked and what she did, um, like you hear the phrase that she it actually does seem like she did magic to get from place to place. That's how efficiently she worked when she was running the Underground Railroad. And I think I saw um, Trevor Noah allude to this. It's like it. it it kind of takes away a little bit and just real quick when you for, you kind of forget in the yeah. sense, cause it is a real figure. It is somebody who was an amazing human being and then given her mm-hmm. superpowers is mm-hmm. kind of felt kind of cheesy for a little bit. And I had to kind of separate my, that in my mind um, while reading her and like seeing her do the conduction so well and That's so fair. efficiently. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I can see that. It's, it's, it's easy to suspend disbelief when it's like not a real person also Mm -hmm. like for Hiram. We're like, I don't know who that is. He's not connected to reality at all. So sure. He can teleport, you know, although he is apparently based on a real person. Yeah. But he's not like a historical name recognition. Yeah. I mean, I get that it could sort of downplay, like, the really hard work that she actually did in real life to, you know, imply that it was partially because she was magic. And it's like... I mean, I also got the impression in the book that she... It wasn't entirely... Like, she was also really efficient, and it wasn't entirely conduction. Mm -hmm. But conduction was a big part of it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also just a cool way to include a real figure from this time without making this like straight historical fiction. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that they referred to her as Moses for a lot of the book. Yeah. 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 Um, I was like, when they started saying Moses, I was like, could it be? Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't know who it was going to be. I was like, oh, interesting. And then she said Harriet. And I was like, oh. Yeah, she was like, <laughs> not Harriet don't call me Moses. That's not my name. Yeah. It's Harriet. Harriet Tubman. Harriet. You should put her Harriet on some money. <laughs> Yeah. For real. Well, um, it was going to until Lin Manuel Miranda made a masterpiece, and then it all went to shit. Oh, we're gonna get into that next week. Yeah, they were gonna they oh. were gonna put Harriet Tubman on and replace Alexander Hamilton, and then Hamilton blew up, and they were like, eh. she needs really? to be replacing Jackson. That's, That's what needs to happen. That is a real thing. <sighs> that is yeah. an actual. I mean, all these men need to be replaced, but why is no. Andrew Jackson still on money? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we mentioned the Trevor Noah interview, um, in that same interview. And I think he gets asked this a lot, so he's probably said this in other interviews too. But, um, one of the things of note is that, um, Coates uses the word test to refer to, um, slaves and quality to refer to, um, slave owners and generally like white people and stuff. Um, who were like upper class whites. Cause he also refers to the lower class whites as well. Um, and he said that part of the reason he uses those terms is because he wanted to tell a new kind of narrative, something that wasn't just like another slave narrative because people have certain assumptions of what slave narratives are. A lot of times, um, the typical slave narrative focuses more on, the um, torture and the inhumane things that happen to slaves. And he really wanted to focus on the humanity of these people and like putting the word slave kind of takes that away. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we feel like he do, do we feel like he succeeded in telling a different kind of, um, and I don't even want to call it a slave narrative. Cause again, like that's not what he's trying to do, but like, did this feel like different than other stories you've read about this period in time? Yes. Why or why not? Why or why not? Please explain. Uh, Thirty words or less. I mean, I think part of it was was the magic. Like, I have not read a story about like this specific time period or subject that also included magic. Um, and so that that was part of it. But also, just I think like putting like changing the words sort of does take you out of of thinking like, is this historic, st- historically accurate or is this how it really happened? Or is this like, cause like it just sort of made it almost like a, an alternate reality sort of story where it's like, this is a similar situation, but not quite exactly the same. And it just sort of let it like, let me get into the story without having so many assumptions about like how things were actually working at that time or like whatever. I just sort of, was thinking of it as like, let's pretend I don't know anything about this and read yeah. it that way. I think it built a clear like class distinction too, just not yeah. just between um, black people and white people, but like rich white people and mm-hmm. not rich white people. And then different types of like different levels of freedom among yeah. black people. Mm-hmm. Well, and it also puts this emphasis on, like, the fact that 
these these words like are presumably what the white people decided to to refer to these things as and so the white people think of themselves as quality mm-hmm. and then they think of, <laughs> yeah. of the white people with less money as low and then they think of mm-hmm. black people as tasked so it's like saying saying slave is like putting a little bit of like at least implying a, a negative sort of thing as far as like you know these people are like I'm making these people work for me. Where tasked is like much lighter. It sounds like it's they like have a, a to do list. Yeah, yeah, yeah like it's the, like this is yeah. their job. Yeah. Like n- no, <laughs> they just have a task. Yeah, and then after they complete that task, they can just <laughs> yeah. Uh, have and I will task. I will also say that there's like a lot of discussion happening right now about changing the way that we refer to these people instead of saying slaves like to say enslaved people Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. because that is like you know implying that these people are people and being enslaved is something that happened to them they like a state of being it's not like i was born to be a slave and that's like you know who i am it's like i was enslaved right so Mm -hmm. that's something Mm -hmm. just that i need to like keep in mind in the future because uh you know, words wor- words that we use are changing all the time as far as, like... And I know that we've said slave plenty of times in this episode. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think that's, in- like, an interesting way or, like, a good way to remind ourselves to consider, like, the humanity of each and every individual person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this was an interesting... Like, because you pointed out that just just by changing the way that we talk about the people in this book changed the way that you perceived the story. Um, so I think that extends beyond this, right? Like the way we talk about people, the words we use to describe people changes the way we perceive them. Um, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Um, who would have thunk? Um, so I have a couple of quotes that I pulled from the Ibram X. Kendi talk that I thought might be worthwhile and worth discussing a little bit more. Um, here's the first one. This is something that Tanahasi Coates said, just to be clear, this isn't something Kendi said, but this was in response to, you know, questions that Kendi was asking him. Um, so... Uh, He said, African-American culture has always had a hold on the white mind, and it has always been a thing that they can't quite touch, but they want to touch. If you put any group of people down in a certain context and you do it over the course of centuries, they will have certain insights about the world, about humanity, about democracy, and about freedom that you can't get without living down there, without being in it. Um, so that was an important thing for me to get across. Whenever I write, it's important to get that ethnic identity across. With black people, there's something joyful amidst the oppression that they want to hold on to. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see how he can he relates to that because one of my favorite one of my favorite pa- uh, parts of the book is when they're all dancing outside on the street. Yeah. What, what he he keeps referring to at Lockless as the street. Which I literally picture like an old western like dirt dirt road, yeah. dirt road couple shacks here and there and then yeah when mm-hmm. when they're all sitting there dancing and they're doing like when he first sees Sophia in the light and like the way he describes her and how everybody's 
banjos come out and it's you know it, it literally just becomes a party out of nowhere and <clears throat> you know a lot of a lot of you know you kind of forget for a second it's like oh man these people are the task they're not they, but they're somehow still celebrating they're somehow still bring out banjos and dancing and having a good old time out of nowhere and when yeah and realistically they should you know music Music is really important. He's got a lot of like lyrics from work songs in here, and he researched that those are real mm-hmm. songs. Um, and you know, yeah, you think of like the you, say, you think of like the blues and jazz, and how a lot of that has roots from these times that translates to yeah. eventually evolved to how we listen to, especially the blues. You know, like the American blues, like that's how it started, and <clears throat> and you know you want to keep that. You want to definitely keep that around because, you know, black people master the blues. They're just BB Kings, the man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think like that, the first part of that quote really says something about like, why, why like cultural appropriation is such a thing that happens because yeah. white people are mm-hmm. like obsessed with black culture, especially now, uh, you know, we see like so many like, white people you know just like trying to be like hip-hop stars and like white people having dreads and white people like just like trying to take all of these parts of this culture that like they can't understand and Mm -hmm. make it their own because they're jealous almost that like this community has these like really incredible traditions and it's like it's like white people have to have everything. And I say this as a white people, as a white people, <laughs> as, a white as a white person. <laughs> it's like, we, like, we just can't let people have something that is their own. It's like, no, like, you can't have, like, I have to have everything. I have to have a Welcome part in everything. Welcome to my TED Talk on colonialism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that, like, that comes across um yeah yeah he also said that there was like a joylessness to being so far removed from the realities of the world that i think he was and i feel like i have to be really clear of the fact that like he was saying this and not me because it sounds really weird for a white person to say like it's so hard to be privileged (laughs) you know yeah but like, but you know, like, I think he has a point, like he was saying, like, there's a joylessness to being so disconnected from the realities of the world. And like, there's things that you'll never understand about the world. Yeah. If you never had hardships. And he, he did say, he was like, I'm sure that there are women in the audience who, um, understand so much about the world that like I, as a man could like never understand. Right. Cause I haven't had to experience those types of things. And again, like, I think he acknowledges that in this book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, don't know. I just thought that was a really interesting, fascinating thing that he said. Yeah. And like, I think like speaking of that, that joylessness, I think like we see a lot, especially towards the beginning of the book, um, when there are all these descriptions of the quality and how, like, they dress themselves up and all this pomp and circumstance. And then, like, as the night progresses, they get drunk and they just turn into fucking monsters. Like, they're, <laughs> yeah. like, fucking, like, throwing up in the street. Punching and, like, each other. Like, yeah. punching each other and throwing shit. Because they're just, like, trash and they have nothing. Like, <laughs> everything that they care about is, like, fake and empty. And, yeah, like, yeah. 
Uh, um, and that kind of goes into the second quote that I took from right, this right. interview, yeah. um, where he said, morality is for black people because the truth is, if you have money, if you have power, what do you need with morality? What does Donald Trump need with morality? This is how power works. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then he dropped the mic and he, and he was like, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Goodbye. And, no, and then no, Donald Trump tweeted about it. <laughs> yeah. Probably. But yeah, I don't know if there's anything discussed in that. I just thought it was interesting. It's good. It's a good quote. It's a good I heard quote. that loser Tanahasi Coates said something about <laughs> <Sad>. me. Sad. <laughs> Failing Tana Hathi Yeah. The f- <laughs> oh, my God. Awful reviews on his book. <laughs> um, the failing New York oh, Times man. claims it's a bestseller. Yeah. yeah. Failing, failing Oprah Winfrey chose it for her failing book club. <laughs> um, oh, man. Uh, sad. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get to ratings? I know there are several things in this book we haven't talked about yet because there's so much going on in this book. There's a lot, yeah. So I don't know if there's anything in particular you're like, I really couldn't wait to talk about blah, and we never got to. Um, I've got a really cool little question for for the gang. Yes. And, and one of the things that I one of the and I just took away from the book while reading it, I thought it would make an amazing like short series, like a six. Yeah, I was part, wondering like, about that. Like it seems really really cool. Like I can picture that when whenever he can f- first conducts the, and walks with Harriet Tubman, like all this stuff. I just picture it being really really cool in my head. But that's also because I have a very wild imagination yeah. when it comes to reading books and like I. Kind of the way he just, I mean, Tanahasi Coates does an amazing job describing a lot of the things in this book. Um, yes. But like, I feel like Oprah can make that happen, you know? Who, Let's get it going, Oprah. Oprah. Who would you cast on, Oprah. in some of these roles? I would yeah. not be surprised if, if this happens. <laughs> yeah, like I could see this happening. The one that got me the most, I feel like I would, who, like, who would you cast as, or did anybody stand out who'd be like, that's who I would put in that role? And I, everybody, everybody's, everybody seen, um, Sapphire, uh, this, the the book with Monique. Uh, no, what's it called? Precious. Oh, Precious. Put the, yeah, Precious. Precious based yeah. on a novel pushed by Sapphire. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, there you That's go. the one. Uh, Monique as Athena. I think that would have been my absolute favorite oh. thing because I just pictured Monique as this is like very loving, but also at the same time very stern and mean, whatever she has to be. And I think Monique definitely can portray that because I fell in love with her role in that movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know that John Boyega is not American, but we know he can do an American accent. Yeah. And he has been very outspoken um, about the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. So I feel like he would be great, great in this as something. Yeah. He could be a great Hiram. I yeah. would just like to see him involved in this. Yeah. Um, I And then I couldn't not get. Uh, what's his face? Donald Glover out of out of my head as Hiram. That's who. Like for some reason, it's, oh, yeah. it just from the time I started reading the book and like the characters just came more and more into play. Him and then Kerry Washington as Sophia. I thought that would have been awesome because Kerry Washington is absolutely stunning. Um, yeah. Though I don't want her to play that. It would kind of get typecasted because that's not a typecast yeah. in the sense that Django. I feel like they have to be a they have to be a little younger than them though. Is the thing. Because they're pretty young yeah. in the book. 
Well, yeah. you don't really learn how old Sophia is, right? I, I don't know. I was trying to think about that today. I guess that that's today. true. Um, you never I guess that's true. How, yeah, how old Sophia is. But, I mean, a, a clean-shaven Donald, like a, a community season two yes. Donald Glover. That's a <laughs> community that's season a two Donald Glover. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm never going to argue about putting Donald Glover in anything. So. I mean, I know, I as soon like... as you said Donald Glover, Emily was like... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah. Yes, I feel yes. like Lupita has to be in this because it's illegal Ooh. to not cast her uh, in a movie with a full black cast. So <laughs> got to put her in there. Yeah. Um, always love to see Zendaya. Would love to see her in this. Corinne can be played by Corinne from The Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Oh, man. Nailed it. But yeah, I don't know. I, just, I got really into my head about like, man, this would be really cool to see this like come to life, and like, yeah, it would be in a somewhat similar way of how I have it in my head. I, I really HBO, if you're listening, I'd like to see Lakeith in this, please. Ooh, Oprah, Lakeith. if you're listening, Lakeith has to be in there. I, I kept picturing Boris Kujo as Hawkins, and I don't know why that is. Wait, who? Boris Kujo. I don't know if you know who Boris Kujo is. But no. he's this striking, right. handsome, handsome man. And for some reason, I just pictured Hawkins as a very handsome dude. I, a lot of times. So I don't know why. I honestly have no idea why. Just like put a yeah, I gotta look up a picture. Yeah. I mean, we need... I'm, I always want my movies to have a lot of hotties yeah. in them. Just yeah, he is like disturbingly handsome. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hold on, now I gotta look. Okay, I feel like I have seen him in something. How do I spell this? Uh, K-O-D-J-O-E I feel like I've seen him in something and I feel like it was okay. a really bad Love thriller that you and I saw Emily. oh he was in some Resident Evil movies he's very handsome yeah he's a very good looking guy now we're on yeah. one about him. Like, um, <laughs> All right. What's he done? But yeah, I would love to see this Man, come, come I haven't like thought a, about like a... loving basketball in a long time <laughs> Well, Saeed, if this ever gets made into a show, you'll have to come back on so we can talk yeah. about it. Done. Or we can just talk oh. about Love and Basketball sometime. <laughs> I love Love and Basketball, basketball. Again. I haven't watched that in a long time. I will watch it I again. I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to think um, about that a lot. Should we rate this book? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Saeed, so... One of the reasons we invited Saeed on this episode is this was actually a request from Saeed for us to read this book. And we've literally never taken a request before. So. We have we have one That's other time. Wait, one other it? time. Station Eleven was a request from Todd. Oh, okay. One of the reasons we picked this book is because Saeed requested it. We don't do this all the time. Don't write in your request. We don't want to hear them. <laughs> We're planned through 2023. You can't add any more books to the list <laughs> yes um but saeed since you got a special request in we never do it um we'll, we'll let you start with how you rated it um well the reason i brought it up is i i read an expert or excerpt excerpt oh god uh i read yeah, a small passage uh in a magazine <laughs> uh in a magazine and uh just a little bit of it got me roped like I was so I forgot completely forgot I was actually reading a magazine and so I'm like I flipped the page and I'm just like oh it's like a 
an ad for some drug. Um, so instantly I knew the book was going to come out and I texted Emily. I was like, have you heard about this author? Cause I wasn't familiar with ta codes at all before this. And then I went back and actually learned who he was. Um, and so I think the book lived up to a lot of the expectations that I did have of it. Um, I loved the first half more than the second half. I will say that. Uh, I agree with you. And what are we rating it out of? I don't know. Is it out of five? Five out stars. Out of five, five stars. stars. I will give it three and a half stars. Because it is All compelling. Right. It we'll, let, really we'll give you a half because you're a guest. Oh, you guys don't do halves? I was about to go with like decimal points. Okay. Uh, wow. <laughs> well, three since we're going on the good reason, Gail, which does this not allow This is how I like to write to you, but I'm never yeah. allowed. So would you go with a three or a four if you had to pick? Probably a th- three. Yeah, okay. probably a three. Okay. Um, but, I mean, it's a great read. It's a fantastic read. The characters are awesome. Um, I don't know how much of the ending I want to spoil, but, like, I, I, for a second there, I, I was like, all right, what is going to be the end? Like, what is the outcome? What is the the grandiose thing that's going to give me, like, that, like, all right, it's a satisfying thing. And, you know, sure. But, like, my favorite part, my favorite part of the ending is that Athena be, gets back with her daughter. That's my yeah, absolute yeah, favorite yeah. part of the book. I think that was, like. And we didn't even talk about Kessia at all, but she was great. Uh, yeah. was, that, is that not, was that not Keisha? Oh, I thought it was I, Kesia. I don't know. I just. I, I thought maybe it was Kesha. So. <laughs> oh wow. Um, but yeah, three, uh, three and a half to to three stars uh, in my book. I I really did enjoy it. It was a fun read, and I look forward to reading much more Tanahasi Coates' stuff. I've got another one of those books right here. Emily has to pull a book out and show it to us at least once per episode. (laughs) Yeah. I look forward to the HBO miniseries. Audio podcast. Yeah, on this very visual (laughs) podcast that we have. I gave it a four. I really liked it. It felt like simultaneously a very literary book that was trying to do a lot of things with its message and its themes and like how it portrayed things and its structure. But then it also felt like a really easy to read book. So I didn't feel like I was slogging through it or anything. So I both enjoyed reading it and think it was doing something at a higher level. It wasn't my favorite thing I've ever read, but I did really enjoy it a lot. And so I gave it a four. I'm going to get mine out of the way. Emily thought I wasn't going to like it. I didn't think you were going to like it, but to be fair, I thought that before I started reading it, just based on what other people had said. Emily texted me and she was like, I bet you anything Mary will hate this. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I really liked it. I'm so glad you liked it. Uh, It had like just enough magic in it. Yeah. To really, really get me. Susan, go for it. Um, I'm going to get mad out of the way because I feel like I need to read this again later. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so, you know, sometimes you just aren't reading things at the right time and that's mm-hmm. where I was sure. with this or whatever would have, it, it would have been this week. So, um, yeah, I, it took me a while to get through the second half in particular. And I don't know if that was actually the book being slower or me going crazy, <laughs> but, um, I gave it a three, but I feel like, I feel like that's open to change. Whenever I yeah. make my way back around. Return to it. Make my way back yeah. around. 
Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I go back at my Goodread reviews and I look and I'm like, how did I rate that book so low? I love that book. (laughs) I do that too. I'll I'll go back and I'll be like, after I've, like, I'm still thinking about the book like months later and I'm like, you know what? That was unfair of me. I do that with movies too. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I do think you're right. The second half is a little slow. Well, I, for me, (laughs) for me, it was more like the second half. It was like the middle section, like the, when he's free, when when he's he's free free and in Philadelphia is the part that I found slower. Um, yeah, the parts that were best to me were like the whole first half. And then like, after he goes back, after Philadelphia. But the mm-hmm. section where he's kind of like learning how the underground is like works and he's kind of like those characters that he meets in Philadelphia were less um like fully fleshed out to me even though they they did have stories and they were real people. I just I guess I felt a little less connected to them um than I felt to the characters in Lockless and mm-hmm. uh so for me, like, I was honestly thinking about, like, somewhere between a four and a five. And I was like, maybe I should give it a five. But I think that the – because I, I I really loved a lot of it. I think the writing is really beautiful. I think that it's doing so much. And, oh, like, so much of what it's doing is re- working really well. But I do think that, like, there were some plot machinations also happening with the stuff involving the underground that just seemed a little bit, like, unnecessary. They'd be like, we're going to go here, and then we're going to go here. But actually, we're going to go here. And then we're – and I was just kind of, like – I felt like I was following, like, a – I don't know, something that – It became, that, like, an espionage book for a little yeah, while there. Yeah, and I just yeah. don't find that interesting, personally. Yeah. Um, but all the character stuff and all of the, you know – I don't know. I like all the relationships. And like, again, I'm a sucker for a love story. And I think that it's a really beautiful love story. So I think I'm going to go with a four, but it's really like a secret four and a half. (laughs) Um, This is Emily. I also gave it a four. Um, I, it's really weird because, well, you know, maybe not so weird because, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates has written a lot of like, articles and essays and stuff that you can read online and so I've read some of that before and you know like I said I heard him speak and so like I kind of was fangirling him before I'd ever read any of his books yeah um just because he just seems like a really cool guy and if you've never heard him speak or read any interviews with him um definitely recommend checking that out checking out some of the links so like I had hyped this up a lot because I was like, all right, finally I'm going to read one of his books. Um, I think, like everyone's saying, it was a little slow in the middle for me, which is why I couldn't give it a five star. But I felt very invested in the story overall. Um, and it's very well written. And, um, yeah, I will definitely, if he writes more fiction... I will definitely read more of it. I think he is working on a second novel right now, so I would cool. check that yeah. out for sure. So yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I think I have to bump my score. I'm going to re-go to my score. I'm going to bump it up to a four because I just remembered that I, I. It's very, very, very difficult for me to cry during a book, and this book got me once. Ooh. And so, oh uh, yeah, I. You got to give it an extra star for that. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. 
So that's where um, I should go to the fore when, 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 yeah, when Thena explodes, when he tells her that he saw his daughter and, and like, just, I felt yeah. that emotion coming out of her. And then when she, yeah, that whole, that whole story arc really yeah. got me. And so I was, yeah. I loved that because it was so like, not the typical reaction that you would expect, like in a narrative, you know, but it's a very human reaction. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. Yeah. So that is uh, The Water Dancer. If you read it, you have comments, questions. Uh, if you want to talk to us about Tina Fey. Um, <laughs> Kelly, where, where can they write in for that They stuff? can write in at the squad at booksquuggles.com. Subject, Tina Fey. <laughs> Let's get into listener feedback. And Mary, you can be a listener feedback too if you want to give us some feedback also. Oh man. Uh, uh, I wasn't ready. <laughs> well, we can to. read this other feedback first and come back to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, Susan, do you want to read this one? Sure. It has a shout out to me in it, so I would love to read that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is feedback on um, the Ninth House, which is a couple episodes back. So we're it's taking just ninth it back. Ninth House, you guys, not Whoa. the Ninth House. Oh, my bad. Sorry. That ninth happened house. a couple times during the episode, and I was like, Ninth House. Okay. Yeah. And we t- and we talked about it too, but you know what? I don't give a fuck. I just like that book a lot, so I care. Okay, yeah, this is from bad. Marika from Portland, Oregon, not Maine. Hey, ladies, shout out to Susan for picking this book. I loved it. I gave it five out of five. I'm always intrigued by stories that involve history and tradition and agreed with you all. I enjoy when magic is written about in a way where it is more relatable to the reader. I enjoyed the time lapses throughout the story. And in this case, I felt like the author was able to reveal certain information at just the right time to make the story more interesting or dramatic. It also kept me hoping Darlington would be alive at the end. Me too. Um, Alex was such a great character and I thought the author did an amazing job at bringing her audience to connect with Alex. At times I felt exhausted just reading about how constant Alex's struggle was. I love to sleep. So the fact that she hardly had any was so frustrating. (laughs) I relate to this. (laughs) This book is so, is so relevant to our society today and struggles with power dynamics, socioeconomic disparity and personal morality. I love the relationship between Alex and Darlington, the East West, poor, wealthy, gifted, studious dichotomy between them and how those differences shaped their characters and how they were able to learn and grow from each other. This book was a reminder of what it is to be human from examining our experiences and environments to who we choose to be through our actions every day. Most importantly, it was so entertaining that I could not put it down. Thanks for another good one. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. We didn't write it, yeah. but, you know, we talked about it. But you're, I, you're welcome because I did pick it, so... I was telling her how happy I was that she liked it and that it was one that I picked because historically I don't do a great job at the picks. (laughs) That's not true. I'm like, (laughs) okay. No, we we all have picked some bad ones. Yeah, Susan, I feel like you and I are at the same level. I mean, I picked Super Extra Grande. One of my least favorites. Well, Mary did pick our least favorite book collectively. Um, also, 
on our last episode at the end, we um, we recommended some further reading um, on either on anti-racist topics or books by black authors or both. And I one of the ones I said was White Fragility, which is, as we all know, by a white woman. Um, Janet, friend of the pod, sent uh, sent us a message and introduced me to an anti-racist educator whose profile I'm going to pull up right now. Um, Louisa, a.k.a. Weez Doran. Um, she is at According to Weez on Instagram, but she's really great. And she had several weeks before posted um, what to read instead of White Fragility and she has a video kind of outlining some of the problematic elements of white fragility and mostly of its author, a white woman sort of positioning herself as the expert in this area. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's just one piece of it, but basically I'm saying my bad. I did not think about that because I am one of these white people who is still figuring out a lot of this shit. So um, I stopped reading that and wanted to share instead the list that uh, that Weez shared um, of what to read instead. And so these are books by yes. black authors on the same topic. So I'm just going to read this list out and say, do that instead. Cool. <laughs> um, White Rage by Carol <laughs> Anderson. Which, by the way, I ordered like two months ago and it just got here last week. And I was like, oh, good timing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tears We Cannot Stop by Michael Eric Dyson. The History of White People by Nell Irvin Painter. And How to Be Less Stupid About Race, which is a great title, by Crystal Marie Fleming. <laughs> so um, if you are, like I was, like surprised to find about how problematic white fragility was and Robin D'Angelo, the author, um, Weez has a great video explaining all of that too. So it's all that's on her, her Instagram and she has a lot of other great reading recommendations. So thank you, Janet, for the heads up and sorry. (laughs) Absolutely. We're always willing to take feedback and, uh, admit when we fucked up. So like if, we said something dumb and you want to point it out to us, like, please just go ahead and do it. Cause, uh, we want to get smarter. Mary feedback on the episode. Yeah. I really enjoyed listening to the episode. I wish I had been here to talk about it. I wanted to like reach through the episode and be like, let me talk about X-Men. <laughs> did I do okay? Did I Yeah, do no, right? it was great. I mean, you're I absolutely right. I did it right. I didn't sound dumb about X-Men. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, and X-Men is a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it's definitely about civil rights. Um, and even, and this is Todd, this isn't me, but Todd was noting that, like, um, X-Men, it did something kind of interesting in how originally, you know, Professor X was like the Martin Luther King figure, uh, Magneto was the Malcolm X figure, and you kind of brought this up a little bit in the episode, but now there's a current run of X-Men, or from a couple of years ago, where they kind of swap, and Professor X is becoming a little more violent, a little more aggressive, and then Magneto is becoming a little more... um, like peaceful and tolerant sort of like Malcolm X and MLK, like later in their 
careers. So it's interesting, you know, that they're still kind of like playing with these themes, but not about X-Men. I just, as I was reading Stamped, there were parts where I would just be like, I think it's so well written. And I think, and you're, Hold on to your seats. The audiobook's excellent. Uh, you know, I listened to it too. So, um, just as a, a friendly reminder, Stamped from the Beginning, which is the book we're talking about, is uh, free to listen to on Spotify right now. So you have no excuse. Yeah. I had no, I listened to a little bit of the audiobook. I had no problem with the narrator. I just can't listen to nonfiction or I will stop paying attention. So, <laughs> that's fair. Do you remember when I said don't accidentally hit shuffle? <laughs> because it's like it's also like a bunch of like three I like that chapters. it was small chapters. Yeah. Hmm. Guess who? Did, guess who did me? So I was in the shower one day and I had like press play, but it had been on shuffle from when I was listening to music <laughs> talking about Thomas Jefferson. When I got in the shower, three minutes into my shower. He starts talking about Angela Davis. That you're was like, like hmm. oh, big old interesting. Jump. I guess he's just going to like refer to her real quick and then get back. Get back to Jefferson. And then three minutes later, no. we're like <laughs> in like W.E.B. Du Bois territory. And I was like, hold on. I, I am confused because so far this has this gone very, very chronologically. <laughs> so when I got out of the shower, I had to that. But it was a weird shower. I just, I just place. feel like reading it and getting like some <laughs> historical context for things made me insufferable for a few days because I was just like, "Hey, Todd, you know that unit you teach on Du Bois and Washington? Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong about it." We were doing yard work one day, and I was listening to it, the book, and. I'm sure Justin was listening to music, but I kept like stopping what we were doing. And I was like, Hey, like take out my headphones. Like, did you know Thomas Jefferson's even more fucked up? Then I, yeah, I feel like listen it's... to this shit. And then he'd be like, yeah, that's really fucked up. And then I'd be like, okay, back to my work. And then I'd be like, also, by the way, she was a child. Okay. A child. He's probably like, I just want to like listen to nine. Please, no, please let me stop. listen to my music. <laughs> I yeah, and like then when we watched Hamilton uh, in preparation for our next episode, mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. "Do you want to hear some facts about Thomas Jefferson?" And everyone was like, "No." Oh yeah, it was very strange watching Hamilton right after Which, reading Stamp from the Beginning. And we'll get it into that. Excellent timing because I think that it will help us have a a fuller discussion yeah. of Hamilton because there's a lot to talk about as far as like for the sure problems that people have. So I was in that so. boat. I was in that book before I seen it. I yeah. knew very. I knew like two, maybe three songs, and but I, as an avid fan of hip hop, um, seeing that and the way they told that story, I, you can ask my girlfriend who I watched it with. I loved every single second of that entire that entire play. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. It's very good, and the performances are just like incredible other i mean i will we'll get into it later yeah so the blog we finally decided to bring the blog back as you all know we took a little break um because you know we just felt like it was our time to shut up um but we decided to talk again (laughs) here are some of the things we're talking about right now finally 
YA Book Club is back. We've it's been talking back. about YA Book Club. We've been saying it's going to come back. It's back. It's back. It's we about Mozart. It. Yes. YA Book Club about Mozart. There's yes. some magic. Speaking of historical figures and magic, mm-hmm. you should check out Kingdom of Back by Marie Lou. Or maybe not, because we were kind of met on it. But, you know. Ah, I liked it. Read the read the blog. <laughs> uh, Mary, what else you got? I wrote a blog post about ludonarrative dissonance in The Last of Us, which is more exciting than it sounds. Um, I wrote about video games and, like, my experiences playing The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part 2, and just, like, thoughts about, like, violence and narrative and video games. I really loved writing this, and I'm obsessing over The Last of Us Part 2 right now. I want to know what everybody else thinks, so if you want to write in about it, I would be happy to uh, have a conversation about it with you. And I will say that even if you don't play video games at all, like me, it was a very interesting post that I really enjoyed reading because it taught me some new terminology and just, it taught me about things that, like, I hadn't considered when it comes to playing video games, so I think that you did a great job on that. Uh, Also, Todd has written a fantasy novel, Roundup. Um, It, he basically has been reading a ton of fantasy books over the summer, lots of different series, and so he has kind of broken down what each series is about, and which ones he thinks are good, which ones you might want to skip. Mary and I are also going to write about a very important new show. Say hello to your friends. Babysitter's Club. Yes, it's the new Babysitter's Club. Uh, I freaking loved it. I'm going to go ahead and say that. But, yeah. Check it out. Murray loved it, too. Murray. And we're coming at it from the perspective of someone who loved the Babysitter's Club and knows a lot about it, Emily, and someone who never engaged with it at all. Me. I loved the Babysitter's Club growing up. I had, like, 200 Babysitter's Club books, and that's not even an exaggeration because there really are that many. Only one of us Um, has a a specialty in children's lit. Who do you think it is? (laughs) Hey, I took some children's lit classes. You did. Emily actually does children's lit, too. Um, yeah. Okay, I have a blog post for once. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's true, I have one once a month, so. Um, it is about the documentary Disclosure, Trans Lives on Screen, um, which was just recently released on Netflix. Uh, it premiered in January at Sundance, and it is a documentary about trans representation in film and on TV. Um, and it is excellent. It is so good. Like, if you guys haven't watched it, you definitely should. It's not long. It's very, very interesting and also super informative. I learned, like, so much stuff that I didn't know. And, like, I think of myself as a pretty informed person when it comes to, like, like queer rights in general. But um, it, it's just really interesting and really... Um, makes you understand just how um, upsetting it is the way that trans people have been portrayed in the media and, like, why it's so important that that changes. Um, so, you know, check out the documentary. Uh, if if you, don't, like, don't want to, for some reason, read my blog post and hopefully I'll convince you to, or just read my blog post for my thoughts about it. But anyway, uh, 
definitely check it out. And then at the end of the blog post, um, and I will include this in our show notes as well, um, I included a list that I found from Bustle, I think, of like a a long list of um, Black-led queer and trans organizations that you can donate to. Um, and I, I want to say that at the end, or at like in our show notes, we also are going to continue including links uh, that you can donate to um, for Black Lives Matter. And, you know, I just think that we need to continue doing that, like, because things haven't changed. Like, things are hopefully going to change, but, like, we are still in the same situation we were in, you know, four weeks ago, five weeks ago. So, uh, this is not over. For the next two podcast episodes, you are stuck with me! You're locked in here with me! Um, on our next other episode, we will be talking about Hamilton, the Broadway musical composed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, now available to view on Disney+. Plus. You've probably already seen it, but if you haven't, watch it and let us know what you think about it. And while you have Disney Plus, just watch Moana again. Yeah, just watch. Pop on over to Moana again. Speaking while you're of Lin Manuel Miranda. Yeah, speaking of Lin Manuel Miranda, yeah. if you love his music, go over to Moana. Or you can do and what I've done and go back and watch some DCOMs. <laughs> and then in our next book episode, we are going to be talking about Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. Um, Sarah Gailey, I know more about Sarah Gailey than I know about Magic for Liars, actually. All I know about that is, I don't know, maybe it's like a mystery? Yeah, it's like a mystery at a magic school. I know that. I don't know. It has a cool cover. Yeah. Cover's really cool. Uh, Sarah Gailey is a non-binary and disabled author. I've seen them talk about disability on Twitter more than I've read any other work. But the cover cover for for Magic for Liars is so cool. It's just made me want to read it for a long time. And it, it had a lot of buzz when it came out. So I'm pretty excited to finally get to read it. Um, Thank you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, again, about anything we've ever talked about or things we haven't talked about, you could email us at thesquadatbookswagwolves.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Goals. Our website is booksquagwolves.com, where you can also find our blog. Um, please rate and review us. We would love that. Every rating helps more people find us, um, especially on Apple Podcasts, so we'd really appreciate that. And you should subscribe, because why not? You know? Why not? Uh, thank you guys for having me on. Thank, thank you guys for having you. me on. That was absolutely awesome. Yeah, thanks oh, for wait, being will here. You, will you plug your Instagram, please? Uh, my Instagram is Saeed in Yellowstone. That's S-A-I-D in Yellowstone. Um, yeah, in my description right now, there is. I'm going to leave it up there for as long as, I mean, who knows, but there's a link tree. Uh, send you to links to different LGBTQ plus uh, charities and Yay. as well as um, a lot of um, fundraisers or GoFundMes for the families of, I believe right now I have Breonna Taylor, Maude Aubrey, um, George Floyd, um, and some others. And uh, yeah, so if you want to, please go donate. It's it's awesome. Uh, by the time this comes out, my raffle will be over, but I am raffling off a giant photo print um, yes. if anybody has seen it. Um, it's really cool. 
And uh, yeah, just thanks for, again, thanks for having me on. Hopefully you don't get too many emails asking to not have me back on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I but you, It's hard to find four prettier and cooler ladies than you guys. You guys are awesome. Aww. And I think I interact with a lot of you pretty daily, whether it be through Instagram and just like random bits here and there. And I love the four of you. And, yeah, we love you. Keep being awesome.